Pastor Xavier Reese and the godly result when following the divine plan for marriage. Genesis 2.18 says, It's not good that man should be alone. He says, I will make a help me for him. I know my wife is a gift from the Lord. I know that my wife is given to me to perfect me, to help me in this time when I'm walking through this life. God knew from the foundation of the world what I was going to need. It's only when we can entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, being together heirs of the grace of life. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Proverbs 31, the last chapter of the book of Proverbs, is unique in ancient literature in that it reveals a very high and noble view of women. Throughout, we find descriptions of a good woman, a good wife, a good mother, and a good neighbor. Let's join Pastor Xavier now, providing some more background and encouragement for the concluding message of our verse-by-verse study series of Proverbs, Honoring the Virtuous Woman. Proverbs chapter 31. This is the text that we want to look at to see what the Scriptures have to say about the woman who is God-conscious and Spirit-controlled. Now, I don't want you women to take this study as a checklist to see what a terrible wife you are or how much you fail. But I want you to look at it as a beautiful picture of what God can do and will do as you yield yourself totally to Jesus Christ. Paul says that we are not to compare ourselves among ourselves or by ourselves lest we be unwise. You have to measure yourself to God, to what He has called you to, to the abilities He has given you, and to your responsibility to fulfill those things. But this will give you a little picture of of what a virtuous woman is. And at the same time, husbands, I don't want you to be nudging your wife with the elbow every time I speak about the area where she's lacking or say, Amen, brother. (laughs) Because I believe that this teaching of the virtuous woman is only half of the picture that we are to have. The other half is that the husband is to be so like Christ that he looks on his bride through virtuous eyes. And he sees her efforts, her motives of her heart to please him in such a way that even though her efforts are not perfect, he sees them as perfect because he sees her heart, reminding himself that Christ looks upon his efforts in the very same way. That's exciting. You see, there's a misconception in Christianity among marriages, and sometimes men and women feel that they're not what God really wants them to be, and they fail so much, and I wish that we had a marriage like so-and-so and so-and-so, and and boy, if I could only have him, if only I could only have her, if I didn't have him, if I didn't have her. And yet it's Satan's devices to try to destroy what God has for your life. There are no perfect marriages, only imperfect people that God is working on to make perfect one of these days. And it takes a total dying to self, husband and wife. And yet God's grace is there to strengthen, to refine, to bring about that which is God-like, that which can reflect the Scriptures. See, in ourselves, we can't do it. I think some of us that have tried it for a set amount of time without the Lord Uh, can say amen to that. It's like playing football without a helmet. Forget it. You're not going to last. But 
when you come to the Lord, there is such an openness, there is such a newness, there is such a potential. Not because you're any better, but because you've got the Creator working in your family now. And that's where it's at. So as we go through this teaching, lift it to the Lord. It's a teaching on the virtuous woman, but it speaks about the man. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you here, husbands, on what God has given to you and blessed you. The second greatest gift that God has given to you after salvation, your wife. You say, well, you don't know my wife. <laughs> she probably says the same thing about you. <laughs> Open your heart and your mind to see what God would have. But first, let me just expound briefly on these first nine verses before we get into the virtuous woman. So the study of Proverbs will be complete. And here we get the words of uh, King Lemuel, the first nine verses, and the prophecy which his mother taught him in verse 1, it says. And then, this is a beautiful uh, example of what prophecy is said to be in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 3, it says that prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. And the first nine verses here are an, actually a way of exhortation and edification and comfort to King Lemuel. Not so much as revelatory, even though that is an, also an operation of prophecy, but, but here it speaks of advice and exhortation and edification. In verse 3, she says, To be discreet, says, Give not thy strength unto women, nor the ways of that which destroyeth kings. And he's speaking, of course, of that foolish woman, that strange woman which has been expounded through the Proverbs, that woman that is not godly, that woman that only lives for herself, that woman that allures men to destroy them. She speaks about having discretion in verse 3. In verse 4, she speaks about abstinence. He says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. In other words, a man that is given to God should have discretion on what he allows himself to be overcome by. What is going to have control of my life? What is going to be beneficial and what is going to be destructive to me. And in verse 5, he gives the reason to that strong drink. He says, lest they drink and forget the law, pervert judgment of any of the afflicted. In other words, he's, she's saying that strong drink perverts judgment. It makes you forget the law. It brings much affliction. I think we can say amen to this as we look to our society and we see the statistics of alcoholism in the United States, the destruction that is brought to the home, it's sad. In verse 6 and 7, she tells them who they should give strong drink to. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, the one unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. In other words, someone who's ready to die, you might as well just, nothing worse that can happen. And then in verse 8 and 9, she speaks about his responsibility. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. In other words, we're to stand for the things that the gospel speaks about, the word of God. And the Bible has much to say from Genesis to Revelation about the poor, about the needy, about not perverting judgment. We are to make sure that we are obedient to God and we look beyond our borders just to ourselves but our fellow man our neighbor and, and those that are in need there are many people in this body that are, have very very heavy needs 
There are people in this body that walk in every week and they're hurting. We are to come together as a body to be sensitive to one another that we might have God minister to us about them. Not that we come in and drop little hints because that's not of the spirit, that's flesh. But that we can come so prepared that when we're sitting here, we say, Lord, you speak to me. What can I do for you? You minister unto me if, if you want me to minister to somebody, to pray with somebody, or just to listen to them. Whatever it is, you direct me. That's what we come together as a body, to love one another and to see how we can help one another in one way or another. Now, there's always a danger. You always have those spiritual parasites that try to live off and sponge off the body. Be aware of those because people will lay big spiritual trips on you. And they'll take you to all the passages where God says to give, but they'll never take you to the passages where they're supposed to be responsible. Make sure it's the full counsel of God. So those are the first opening verses in chapter 31. Beginning verse 10, the virtuous woman is presented to us. She is the one that is said through the Proverbs to be a crown to her husband in chapter 12, verse 4. She is one that builds her own house in chapter 14, verse 1. She is one that is prudent in chapter 19, verse 14. And she is one that is discreet, full of knowledge, understanding, and full of wisdom. One that is marked all through the Proverbs. Now this woman, this virtuous woman, stands in complete opposition and contrast to the other woman that is expounded through the Proverbs also. The strange woman. The foolish woman. The simple woman. The one who has left the covenant of her God. The one who has been given to her own youthfulness and she has just done as she pleases. The one who feels that she'll never have to answer to anybody. The one that flatters with her eyelids. The one that says, come, let's take our, our time of love together. I have made my peace offering. I'm ceremonially clean. I've decked my bed with tapestry and aloes and come and come on. The good man of the house is gone. He won't be back for a while. This woman right here in chapter 31 stands in complete opposition and contrast to this foolish woman. Verse 10 gives to us three important facts about this virtuous woman. Now I want you to keep these three facts in mind as we go through this entire chapter. Because these three facts are categories that we can label everything under one of these three. They are interlays. They are not in any set order. The first one she says in verse 10 is, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Number one, she is virtuous. That's the title that is given to her. The word virtuous means she is strong. She has valor. She is powerful. She has might. She might even be described under the word fitness. When we think the word of fitness, we think of someone physically fit, someone able to carry out that that is needed. This is a description of her. Next it says that she is rare. Who can find a virtuous woman? There are not that many virtuous women, the Bible tells us. Few in number. And the third category is that she is precious, for her price is far above rubies. No value, no money could replace her. You've seen many times and heard, maybe when you go to an art gallery or over the news, it'll say, this is a painting of so-and-so and, and it's priceless. In other words, there's not even a value on it. They, 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 they can't even put it on it. It's unique. 
Now, this is the picture I want you to get. And you young ladies, if you're not married, then you listen up. Because everything you do right now while you're single will not change when you get married. It'll only be a carryover value. That's all it'll be. And let that be a lesson to you in your courtship. If a young man is not Christ-like while he's dating you, he's not going to be Christ-like when he marries you. Things don't change. And that's the deception of Satan. Now, before we start on verse 11, let me give you some background to the purpose for the woman's existence. Some men feel that a woman is only put here to be a dishwasher, a housekeeper, a diaper changer, a sex partner, and once in a while a car washer. I hope we're beyond that. Do you know why God really doesn't make many reference to the woman within the Bible? Because she never had to be protected. She was automatically included within the family circle. She was a precious gem. It was understood. Only as the woman seeks to liberate herself from the family nucleus does she have to picket, petition, that laws be passed to include her in society. Because the family no longer protects her, now she wants the law to protect her. Isn't that about the size of it today? Families don't protect their women. Another interesting thing to look at is that the man does not set the standards of society. Do you know that? The women do? If you look to history, man has always had prostitution, gambling, all kinds of junk. But wherever there's a core or a nucleus of godly women, they establish the standard for society. What's the rule today? What is the norm for today? Now the woman goes along with everything that the man used to desire. So now that has become the standard, but it never was before. Isn't it interesting, women, that you set the tone for society? You set the tone for your standards of what a woman is. The last stages that determine social decay is the decay of the woman. Look to any past history, any society. We are in those last stages in the United States. The woman is totally decaying. I believe from the bottom of my heart that it's only God's grace that the United States has not fallen. Nothing but grace. How long? I don't know. But in Genesis 2.18 it says, It's not good that man should be alone. He says, I will make a help meet for him. Two purposes God gives to us. They're not the only two, but the two important ones. For the woman was created for the man. Number one, for companionship. It's not good that man should be alone. Now some women say, well, I don't think that's very edifying. I was made just to, to make him feel less lonely. That's a very important part. And God saw it a necessary part. Number one, for companion. Number two, for help. A help meet. Or let me reverse it. Meet help. Help for his flesh. <laughs> God knows man can't live alone. He needs a help meet. Let me give you another word. Completion. 
Do you know that a man is not complete unless he is married? 1 Corinthians 7 says, Unless God gives him the gift of celibacy, that man is not complete. If God allows you to live the life of singleness and it is a gift of God, then he will give you the power, the strength, the ability to, and you will be complete in Christ yourself apart from that woman. But the norm for the man and the woman is marriage. Paul picks it up in 1 Corinthians 7. Do you, do you sin if you don't get married? No. If God has given you the gift, you don't have to marry. But don't try to say that you're more spiritual because you haven't married. There's nothing to do with spirituality whether you're single or you're married. The norm is marriage. The grace of God to be single is the gift of celibacy. That's why in Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. Three important words. Leave. Young men, leave your mommy. Young ladies, leave your daddy. Number two, cleave. That speaks of gluing together, inseparable. Cleave to who? Your husband or your wife. And what's the result? You become one flesh. Now, many think the one flesh happens at the honeymoon. No, you become one flesh at the altar. That's where you become one flesh. You see? You're born again by faith when you say, Lord, forgive me. Water baptism is only a confirmation. So is a honeymoon, a confirmation of what has already taken place. That's all it is. But this is the will of God. This is what God purposed for mankind, for a man and a woman to be one and to function as one, not as two. Now, I don't know how you run your home, but if you're not running as one, then you're not going to reap to the benefits of the Bible. Do you have your checking account and her checking account? Or are you one? Do you buy certain things and put them in the refrigerator and say, these are my cookies, nobody touch them? <laughs> hey, don't laugh. I know a guy that did that. <laughs> I mean, his kids knew not to touch those certain cookies. One flesh. That is why Proverbs 18.22 says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. You want to obtain favor of the Lord? Then dwell with your wife according to knowledge as one. Proverbs 19, 14 says, A prudent wife is from the Lord. Do you know that God gives us our wives? Let me put it this way. You didn't have anything to say about your birth. You definitely not have anything to say about your death. Shouldn't that speak for itself? That God should have something to say about your marriage? Who you're going to marry? The second most important decision you'll make apart from salvation. Who am I going to commit my life to for all the days of my life? Who's going to put up with me? Who's going to be the poor soul <laughs> to refine me? The woman is the extension of the man as much as the church is an extension of Christ. No different. Now, the church submits to Christ because Christ is all-forgiving. He's loving. He's patient. He's understanding. He's all-providing. And the church totally submits to Christ knowing that he knows what's best. And the church goes through many afflictions. The church goes through much lack. The church goes through a lot of different things. But the church knows one thing. Christ will never do anything to destroy the church. And whatever God allows to happen to the church, it's for the refinement and for the betterment of the church. This is the same attitude, the same frame of mind 
that the wife submits to the husband as unto the Lord because she says, I see in him Christ. I know every decision he's going to make. I may not understand it. I may not agree with it. But because he is a godly man, I know that what he has in mind and in heart is my benefit. It's heavy. That means that she walks by faith, not by sight. Isn't that what the church does? Remember when we studied Peter in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says there that the husband and the wife are to be heirs together the grace of life. Together. So many marriages are not reaping the benefit together. He goes off to church by himself and he comes back and says, Oh, you should have seen, honey. The Lord just blessed me. He came down, boy. And she goes, you know, she's always left out. Or she goes to her woman's studies and comes back and he doesn't get into the word of God. He doesn't get the church. So he always thinks that she's trying to be the Holy Spirit. And there's a division. There's not a growing together. There's not a blessing together. There's not a reaping together of the grace of life. You know, when God blessed me, I want my wife there. Now, it's not always possible. But my wife and myself are heirs together of the grace of life. And if I get blessed without my wife, when I come home, I want to communicate it to her in such a way that she becomes a partaker and that I don't provoke her to jealousy or envy. You see? Because I love her. I'm blessed with my wife. I know my wife is a gift from the Lord. God has shed His grace on me. <laughs> I know that my wife has given to me to perfect me, to help me in this time when I'm walking through this life. I know that God has given my wife to me because she's just a perfect mother for my children. God knew from the foundation of the world what I was going to need. I didn't know. I thought I knew. God knew what I needed from the beginning of the world. <laughs> I didn't. I only thought I did. And it's only when we can entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, being together heirs of the grace of life. Let's get into this virtuous woman. Look at verse 11. It says, The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. He can trust her because she's frugal. She makes his earnings last as much as possible. He's not afraid of leaving the checkbook home. Are you afraid of leaving the checkbook home? Are you hoping he forgets to leave the checkbook home? <laughs> now, it shouldn't be a thing where the wife is under some kind of fear where she can't spend, but there should be a, a, a mutual understanding of a budget. And this, I think, is one of the greatest tragedies within the Christian home is that the wife and the husband are not one in a budget. You both have to sit down and figure out a budget and know your budget and stay within those means. And if you don't, you're going to add a lot of frustration, a lot of turmoil, a lot of strife, a lot of damage to your home. But she's frugal. She makes those earnings last. And God knows we need that for today. Verse 12 says, She will do him good and not evil all the days of his life. This speaks not so much in external works but the intention of her mind towards him she always has him in mind pastor xavier reese illustrating the important role to the divine plan for marriage and the family of the virtuous woman of proverbs 31 
And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And there's much more to come right here next time as well. Now, if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, though, you can pick up your own personal copy of this message. The title to ask for is Proverbs chapter 31. It's available on CD for only $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study once you're through. Once again, the title to ask for is Proverbs chapter 31, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Then join us for more Simple Truths from our final message of the Book of Proverbs next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 